the impudence, the audacity, the unmitigated gall of those knuckleheads of liberty podcasters daring to voice opinions outside the mainstream of accepted thought. Listen, if you dare, it's angry, it's funny, it's even sometimes sad, but it's always based on freedom and justice, as you will see. Here's our host, Jason McPhee. Welcome to the Knuckleheads of Liberty. We're coming at you on December 12, 2022. Somehow we've survived a couple years of the current administration, but uh, uh, and it always seems like uh, I, how, how we're going to get through the next day, I don't know. But we do have a special guest here to uh, distract us from that, and uh, this will be uh, an interesting uh, talk. Uh, it's uh, Jim Babka. He's executive producer of Respect America, among many other hats that he wears. But before we jump into that, let me introduce you to our panel. In our upper left-hand corner, we have Leon, the word Brathwaite, last word in liberty. He is a retired engineer in the state of California. In our lower left-hand corner, we have our screaming eagle of freedom, Tim Everett. He is a pilot in the state of California. And on our upper right-hand corner, we have Jim Babka, Respect America. Uh, and he wears a lot of different hats, but we'll talk about a few of those as we go into the interview. But I, I met Jim at a screening of the Hong Konger here in Sacramento, and uh, Respect America is involved in, was involved with that, or at least bringing it here. And, uh, I, you know, it, I've Gosh, he's doing a lot on the liberty front. So uh, we, we like to talk to people like this, too, because it might give people, uh, if, if you're sitting out there watching, some ideas on how you can also get involved as well. So, uh, Jim, take it away. What, what's uh, Respect America about? And uh, tell us a little about yourself. Well, our mission is uh, to use real and up-close personal experiences to exhibit uh, pathways to improved human happiness and identifying the things that block those. And we've, we're doing it through focus on three primary themes. We want to illustrate the impact of coercion uh, and theft that has on human happiness, harmony, and prosperity. Uh, and we want to make sure that the observer really sees it. Uh, second, we want to present delegated agency, which means like you give away, when you, when you deal with the government, you give away a certain amount of power and then agents do the bad things, right? And we want to make sure that people can't unsee that. Once they've seen it, they can't unsee it. And then we want to demonstrate that this principle, which we call the principle of human respect, has no exceptions. That every time an agent uses coercion on our behalf, happiness, harmony, and prosperity decline. And so we're doing this, uh, we're going to do this through short videos, testimonials. The very first one is involves a woman named Katie. Uh, we're going to be releasing that in January. Katie is uh, lives in, in in a state where cannabis is illegal. She has a disease that uh, is a nerve disease. Uh, it's very painful. It's like electric shock through her body. It's an orphan disease. There's only there's only scores of people in the country at any given moment that have it. Uh, but one of the side effects is it eats. It's eating away at her face. And uh, she can get she can get uh, uh, relief from either opioids or cannabis. And, well, and she lives in Idaho where cannabis is illegal. If, if I could stop you for just a second, uh, James, our invisible hand, can you bring up the visual, too? Because uh, there's a website for this and I didn't know. Yeah, and she's right there in the center. She's the woman wearing the red scarf. She's the first story we're going to tell. That's Katie right there. Oh, wow. and uh, and, uh, you know, should she be denied? Uh Cannabis, that's her preferred choice. And I think it would be most people's preferred choice between that and opioid. Uh, she would prefer to use cannabis, but it's completely 100% illegal still. It's, uh, uh, Idaho is one of the last three remaining 100% drug war states. And, uh, you know, she goes and she meets with politicians. 
and they say, I feel your pain. And then they go right to the floor and they give a, a, a blasting message about how anybody who would use cannabis is a bad person and that they have to protect them from themselves and us from them. And, and they, they still vote against her. And that's disrespectful. That's interfering with her happiness. That's interviewing, uh, interfering with her prosperity. We need to stop that. And we need to make sure that these stories are so visual, so visceral that people don't miss it. And that's what we're going to do at Respect America. It's a brand new organization. Uh, the, the party that you came to, Jason, the, the screening of the Hong Konger was kind of our launch event, our pre-launch event, so to speak, to kind of begin to get the word out and get our website up. But uh, we're starting in earnest uh, in January by telling Katie's story. You say is your brand new organization. So so you guys have not truly launched your organization as yet? You're just that is correct. Okay. Yep. Yep. But we did put on a pretty successful event for the Hong Konger. We had uh, that film is put up by the Acton Institute. It's a story of Jimmy Lai in Hong Kong. Yes. Uh, he's imprisoned by the Chinese Communist government, which has broken the treaty it had with uh, Great Britain uh, over the takeover of Hong Kong. Uh, yes. His story is very compelling and moving. And we had that premiere and it was the most successful one the Acton Institute has had thus far. So we got a good team of people to start. I believe yeah, in the last... Oh, so, sorry, Leon. I was just going to say, yes, we had Eric Cohn on the show recently, too, to talk a little bit about that as well, yeah. uh, the Acton Institute. So, uh, uh, yeah. On the, on the film. Uh, or how's that? Sorry. He was the expert on that film. So, yes. Think, good thing you did that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that, that that's uh, such an important message that you're saying, uh, respect, because I, I think a lot of people don't really realize that when they when they want to force their ideas on other people through government, they, they think, they're doing a good, you know, they, they, they think my way is a great way. So wouldn't it be great if everybody else is doing it my way? <laughs> but exactly. uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good uh, take that you guys are putting on this is about respect because uh, you know, gosh, if you don't want to let people do things their own way, then you obviously don't have much respect for it. Right. Yeah. Well, well, they, they always think, I mean, mostly from the left, obviously they always think their good intentions are good enough. For, for all of us. So they're one size fit all solutions to everything is the only thing that they can propose, but it's total disrespect to us as individuals, us as sovereign people. Yeah, and inevitably, uh, you know, none of us is king, including the person with their grand grand utopian dreams, right? Sooner or later, the other side takes over. And in fact, most of the time, people that disagree with us are in charge. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that with the power that we give a politician that we love today to do something we really want is a power that will be used by a politician we loathe tomorrow to do things that we hate. And we have yes. to keep that in mind all the time. That's uh, right there to me. That would be enough reason all by itself for us to start practicing human respect instead. What, uh, Jim, you know, one of the uh, issues that we come across, uh, and, and I like to ask all of our guests this question, uh, because it's not obvious to a lot of people, these ideas about respecting the, the liberties of other people. I, I think maybe a lot of this is because we all come through a public school system that's government run. So all the solutions tend to be government solutions that we talk about in those schools. And, you know, if you want something, uh, you got to vote for it mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, but how, how, what rang your liberty bell? How did you come to see some of these I ideas on liberty that you, you, you've got? Uh, I was raised conservative. My father was a Goldwater Republican. Uh, Jack Kemp was my hero in the 1980s. Uh, I was a college Republican, and I was one of the uh, people in the collegiate network that was putting out a conservative student, independent conservative student newspaper on my campus. 
Uh, I cheered uh, when the contract with America was uh, uh, when the Republicans swept into power in 1995 under Newt Gingrich. Uh, but a year later, uh, they picked Bob Dole, uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And I, I couldn't vote for him. And I started calling my friends who were shocked to hear me say, I'm not going to be able to vote for Bob Dole. And they said, well, you're going to elect Bill Clinton for president. And I said, well, thank you. I wish I had that much power, but I don't. Uh, I just have my vote. Uh, a couple of weeks after I made that decision, uh, the Libertarian Party convention was on C-SPAN. I was a realtor at the time. I would come in and out the door. My television in, in our small uh, home when we first got married was uh, right, in the, right in the living room, right by the front door. And I would walk in on breaks and stuff like that and turn on the TV. And I would watch a lot of C-SPAN back in the day. And there it was. And I saw uh, Joe Sobran and James Bavard and a couple other people speak. And then I saw Harry Brown. And Harry Brown changed my life. Uh, in fact, the uh, morning after he was nominated, he was on C-SPAN's Washington Journal. And when he described uh, something to the effect of a uh, Jim Bean dealer doesn't do a drive-by shooting on, a, uh, on, a, on an alcohol, a be alcoholic beverage store that sells Jack Daniels, right? They don't have turf wars. And if I was a cartoon character, the light bulb went off over my head. I just, I got it. And I was a libertarian from that point forward. Uh, I had found my new home. So, uh, uh uh, you know, my story, by the way, isn't that unique. The advocates for self-government with whom I also work uh, did a survey in uh, 2021. And, you know, one of the two or three most common paths to becoming a libertarian is a libertarian presidential campaign. And so uh, I, four years after I was uh, a fan of Harry Brown, I was working on his campaign uh, when he ran again in 2000 uh, as his press secretary. Wow. Uh, uh, James, can you pull up the visual again? Because uh, I wanted to show a few of the other things that uh, um, <clears throat> that Jim is working on. So Jim is also involved with the Advocates for Self-Government, the one he just uh, um, referenced. Uh, and I've actually handed out some of their surveys as well, too, I, uh, sitting at the you know libertarian booths at the state fair and other things like that. Uh, it kind of gives it people a sense of, hey, are you who, you know, what's your orientation politically? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, they don't realize that, they, you know, maybe they're, you know, maybe a little more liberty oriented, they think, or, or maybe some people, it's a rude awakening how, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, authoritarian they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yes, yeah, so, so he's got that going on. There's also the Zero Aggression Project that he's uh, working on. There's a, a Downsize DC, uh, and he has a uh, podcast also called Grace Archie as well. So he's got a lot of hats going on, and is somebody who, I guess, is just really trying to get the message out there. <laughs> what, what, what exactly is the Zero Aggression Project? The Zero Aggression Project's uh, an initiative based on the Zero Aggression <clears throat> Principle. Uh, we wanted to get into the thinking that goes into that. So the zero aggression principle is that uh, you should never initiate uh, violence or use excessive force to achieve your social or political ends. And uh, you should never even delegate that power. So that's the zero aggression principle. And we wanted to get that across. And we wanted to talk. We have a we feature something there called mental levers uh, that describe uh, kind of a heuristic way of thinking. Uh, what I have observed over the years and has been tremendously powerful for me is that we don't have all of the facts most of the time when a news story first breaks, when there's a crisis, when the government is telling us to be very, very scared. Uh, we have to rely on a set of intellectual tools to figure out uh, what's what's really going on. We can make some place some bets. And this is how libertarians think. We tend to say the following thing is likely to happen if we go down this 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 particular course. And we lay those out in the mental levers. We share kind of some of the tips and tricks that we use in our thinking. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> just curious, because you say zero aggression. So are you, would you generally characterize yourself as more of a, a minarchist then or an anarchist? Because I know that's that's one of the things that kind of gets into the weeds. But as people. Yeah, start I, I, I don't like the term anarchist. I understand what many people yeah. mean by it. Um, it. I think it's the wrong term to use completely. Um, I, I don't believe in no rules and I don't necessarily believe in no rulers. In fact, we uh, advocate at the Zero Aggression Project something called consumer controlled governance. We believe the state shouldn't govern. There shouldn't be coercive government. But as a voluntarist, that's how I would describe myself. We believe that individuals should be able to choose all of their relationships, whether it's with uh, business associates, whether it's the services that they need, or even the governments that they choose. And I believe that we would have actually a spawning of many very specialized governments uh, that would occur if we had the state out of the way. I think people would still, for example, want security services, and they would find ways to contract and obtain that. And so uh, I prefer to call that voluntarist because it's a choice as to whom I'm going to associate uh, with, where I'm going to get those services. So you don't you don't believe in the concept of limited government? Limited by what? Limited by a constitution. Uh, well, uh, if if that would have worked, the government would be a lot smaller than it is today. True. And <laughs> so I I think that I think that the uh, constitution was a major watershed bit of progress for humanity. I think it was a great thing uh, for its time. And I think it has done a lot to protect us. I mean, we can look north of the border and see what has happened where they don't have the same written guarantees that we have. So I do think it's a value. I'm not disparaging it, but I don't think it's the future. I think if in a, in a kind of a post-status view of the world, we would, uh, we would shed uh, any attempt to delegate power to other people and allow them to have an, a, a a power that we don't possess ourselves, which is to initiate violence to get what they want. Uh, that is not a good way to solve problems. We find that out when we're small children in the on the playground. Yeah, it, it's funny too because when you mentioned uh, uh, how's it working out, right? I mean, our current method, and you can watch there. There's a, the the Congressional Budget Office. Unfortunately, I don't have the visual ready for this show, but um, it uh, puts out a, a chart uh, every year. I think it is uh, where it shows the uh, debt to GDP ratio. And when they show that and you track that over time, it is tiny. It's very low at the beginning, you know, of the country. And, you know, when you're talking about early 1900s, it's like three or four percent or something. Now it's 100 percent. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that kind of yeah. gives you a sense of the distortion that's going on as far as all that government. It's just it, it, how much. How, how much bigger the footprint is increasing over time, you know, with our government. And the CBO is literally projecting that that's just heading, heading, uh, I, I guess, north as in high. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and, and Leon, I would add, if if we actually followed the, used the interpretive key that was provided by the founders of the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, if those were actually practiced, we would be in significantly better shape today. If I thought those arguments were compelling on any level, if I thought that they would prevent people from using government for their own ends uh, against one another, uh, and sometimes in very cheap, cheesy fashion, just to get the other side to cry. Um, if I thought we could put an end to that with the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, that's probably what I would, would focus on, because that would get us a long way to where we needed to go, and then we could focus on fixing other social problems. But I've become persuaded that we just have to get rid of all of the initiative force. The way that, start with the way that the government is funded. It's funded through a form of extortion, and and theft and the fact that they're able to take funds uh they don't have to earn them in any way uh shape takes away a certain degree of accountability and efficiency that we would benefit from that we benefit from in all so many other areas of our lives and as a result everything that follows starts to be trouble 
if you took away that essential funding mechanism from them, the power to tax, and they had to actually serve customers, be of service to the people that uh, wanted their wanted their product, then uh, you would have a, a much higher degree of accountability. And I think that's where we need to go. We call that consumer controlled governance. So in the, in the consumer controlled governance, there'll be no there'll be no central authority per se is what you're saying i don't think it's necessary and and uh james maybe you could bring back our uh visual again uh, i just pulled this uh up and uh it's uh the brookings institute and this one that i pulled up but this is essentially the cbo's chart that they're uh, mm -hmm. reprinted here and you can just track that over time right um there was a uh fairly big footprint when the fir uh, government first started because one there wasn't a whole lot of productivity and they uh wound up having to fund a war just to get uh, become free but uh, you can see it's it's very very low early on in the uh, country and it's just every war that essentially spikes it but at some point we we kind of get away from reducing that size of government relative to you know the, the size of our economy and it just keeps growing and growing and the cbo is literally projecting this is just going sky high in the future which is not a good sign <laughs> Right. And when we first formed uh, Downsize DC, it was largely on this basis. Uh, there are two parties in Washington. Uh, one is the tax and spend party. Uh, the other is the borrow and spend party. Um, sometimes they switch <laughs> scripts. And uh, if you notice, both of them are spending and the spending is the problem. So if we took all the money that they collect and we piled it high like autumn leaves and then we set those leaves on fire, burned them, just completely consumed them and didn't use them for anything, we would actually be better off because the problem is the things that they do with the money. They do terrible, terrible things with the money, um, hideous things in some cases. And so that power needs to be taken away from people who didn't earn it. And it needs to be reallocated to people who would have more accountability. In a consumer controlled government, you, uh, you would have more power. We Just think about it. You have more power as a consumer than you do as a taxpayer. If you don't like the fact that you said, I don't want mayo on my burger and they put it on anyway, you have a number of different remedies available to you and probably a company that is eager to serve and please you. Uh, and you still don't have to go back and you could still leave a bad review on Yelp or wherever. And, and so you have so much power that we don't enjoy as taxpayers. You are just one person in a sea of people and you're constantly fighting to be part of that majority that will get control. And when you have 50% plus one, that equals 100% of the power. And that's just not really a good situation to get happiness or to achieve social harmony or to maximize our prosperity. Yeah. So in a, in a consumer, in a consumer, um, in consumer controlled governance in such a society, what will happen to say something like the military? Well, we have seen uh, firsthand, we have experience as Americans. Uh, we got to experience it in Vietnam and the Soviets got to experience it in Afghanistan and we got to experience it again in Afghanistan that guerrilla fighters can do an awful lot. Uh, th this is not a country that uh, is worth invading. Uh, even Japanese admirals knew this uh, before they attacked uh, World War II. Uh, we didn't have a theater of action here. Uh, the theater of action was over there. Uh, I can understand why some other countries would be much more fearful about their, their <laughs> military existential situation but we here uh, are relatively secure and we have the ability to gear up in a very rapid basis. It also has not been traditionally very difficult to get, the, to get people wrapped up and ready to go to war. Uh, if the need arises, they would support it. And so the, th the thing that people always wonder about is could we fund uh, a, a sufficient military? I think that's asking uh, the question backwards. 
uh, people will always fund their own security. Security is a uh, survival is a primary human value. And to the degree that they need to do that, they will devote their resources to it. Most of the time, that's not where we need to devote our resources. We have a military that's far, far bigger than what we would choose to pay for if we did it voluntarily. And then that military, because it's so big and the contracts are so large, needs to turn over some of its products so it can keep the machine going. And so there's a, a military industrial complex that uh, Dwight Eisenhower warned us about. And we believe that the world and our country would actually be much more secure uh, if funding for the military was voluntary. We've laid out that case uh, in an adjunct site that uh, breaks off from Zero Aggression Project called wartruth.org, where we go through the history. Uh, Perry Willis wrote up a hist uh, history. He's He read all the books so you don't have to kind of thing and uh, laid out war by war uh, what happened and what the truth is and whether or, not it, whether or not it left us better off. And so you can check out those arguments at wartruth.org. Well, you know, it, it is kind of funny when you mention, uh, you know, that uh, how, how well guerrilla fighters can do as well, because, I mean, you could have an incompetent warlord like Joe Biden, who just literally arms you for decades to come by leaving all the weapons out on the yes. field as he runs yes. away. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, um, uh, but, you know, it, it is interesting, though, because, uh, or Tim, were you trying to say something or? Hey. Yeah, when okay. it with the muted mic, like an idiot. Yeah. Well, why don't you um, so, jump in? Because I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, I was just uh, going to ask Jim uh, what his thoughts were on the uh, on whatever uh, mutually assured destruction or whatever um, <laughs> motivation for people to not go into a nuclear uh, situation. Uh, how that would play out, for example, just just in a in a future scenario with a a smaller military United States would uh, another country, say China, for example, that maybe had nuclear weapons. And if they threatened us with annihilation and we didn't have any, for example, just in this in this uh, scenario, just for the sake of argument, you know, how, how would that play out? Would we be um, able to be victimized? Would we say, hey, give, it, give us your best shot? Would, would we have a method of uh, countering that um that threat you know so that we're we're not like taken over by china i don't know it's, it's so, bit, so let me start by asking you a, a question there, tim it, if yeah let me start with a question if if you knew that china had weapons pointed at the united states would you want there to be nuclear weapons pointed back I, I think my human natural reaction would be to say yes, um, but, but I I don't know. I mean, maybe in absence of an argument that ha that was persuasive uh, against that, um, that uh, my first reaction would be yes, I would. So we don't I, have time I, to go I, I down. Would that. Def definitely yes, I would want some form of protection against okay. the possibility. So would you be willing to fund, help fund, or extol the virtue of to other people who are capable of funding? an institution that provided that service. Ah, oh, yeah, I see where you're going. Yeah, then, yeah, then I would. would. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah. I would. Of course, of course, uh, long term, I would want to have uh, talks of, of pairing back everybody's nuclear weapons. And, and I, I would, you know, too, but in the time in, that we've got available, yeah. I want to make clear that that people assume that things won't won't be there if it's not funded. So the question always yeah. comes down to who funds these things, right? As Harry Brown mm -hmm. used to say, was it the Russians? Was it the Martians? No, we pay for everything. But on the yeah. way to paying for it, 
a lot of graft and corruption gets added on top of it. They're re it's really kind of hard for me to believe we couldn't fund an adequate defense with a, a lot more efficiently, a lot less costly to us as human beings, uh, you know, as working people, that we could have the security that we wanted. If we wanted those services to exist, they would exist. Well, you know, and on okay. the flip side so, of this, good. Well, well, Tim, I, I was thinking too on the flip side of this as well. I mean, think of all the people we're pointing these weapons at who aren't pointing those weapons at us as well. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, yep. we're, we're literally funding that and we really don't have a choice in it. And, you know, how many people are essentially facing American bullets who maybe we might not approve of individually facing mm -hmm. American bullets. So I, uh, but uh, Jim, I, I, we're starting to get uh, closer to the end of the show and I, I didn't want to uh, let it go without asking you, what are some of the successes that you've uh, achieved in some of these different endeavors you've had? Oh, it's fun to go back and reminisce. Uh, I took a case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, we lost on both counts, 5-4 and 6-3. Uh, but we challenged the McCain-Feingold law, the campaign finance restrictions. And I, that was a monumental accomplishment. I got to sit and listen to my case being argued uh, in the Supreme Court, which was you know pretty cool. Um, but one of our partners in that action was an organization that became a household name uh, less than a decade later, Citizens United and Citizens oh. United uh, ended up scoring a landmark decision that allowed basically for uh, unlimited First Amendment expression, free press rights. Uh, we actually uh, pioneered an argument called the free press argument, which made the distinction in the First Amendment. The rights are all separated by conjunctions or and preceded by the definite article the. So there is the right of free speech. There is the right of uh freedom of the press. And uh, we made this argument, the difference between a, a, a speech and press is that you can publish or print press, right? And that always costs money. You need funds to do that. So we advanced that argument. And I was proud of that. We also, uh, that we filed amicus briefs in that case. Um, I think helpful ones. But we also did that in the Jones case, which changed uh, fourth, uh, fourth Amendment jurisprudence. The property right had been lost in 1968 officially, and it became a right of privacy. Uh, and we helped bring the right of uh, uh, of property, the property right uh, question back into the equation in, in uh, 2012, 13, that time frame in the Jones v. U.S. case. And last, uh, I talked about heuristics at the Zero Aggression Project before. One of ours was, surprise, this will come as a shock, politicians tend to lie. And so, especially <laughs> about war. And uh, we did a site called Truth About War. Org. It's still there. You can go look at it in time. Truthaboutwar.org, where we warned or spoke of what was uh, the truth about what was uh, of the 2003 invasion. We put that up before it happened. We made the startling claim at the time that Saddam Hussein did not have weapons of mass destruction. Um, I was scared later they would plant them, uh, frankly, like a cop, a bad cop at the scene of a crime would plant a gun. I thought maybe they would pull that off. But we didn't. The, the evidence, if you went looking for it, which our media did not showed that they did not have he didn't have those weapons. I'm very, very proud of the work that we did at truthaboutwar.org. And I think wow. it's the kind of thing that libertarians are capable of doing because of our philosophy. We can almost see the future. Unfortunately, sometimes we feel like Cassandra when we do so. Well, you know, we're almost out of time, but do you have like a final thought you'd like to leave with everybody who's watching? Yeah. Uh, the solution to every problem that libertarians are experiencing is that there's not enough of us. We need more of us. Go find others, uh, this, uh, and, and, and if you can, get them to put some skin in the game because where your treasure is, there's where your heart's at as well. And people will get more involved and more committed if they do that. 
So I think that's the key thing is to find as many of us as we possibly can. And there's studies that indicate that there may be as many as 60 million of us who basically believe the government is too big, does too much and interferes in our life too much. And uh, so I, I encourage people, go find people just like you. Awesome. And, you know, you can start the process by going to respectamerica.org and <laughs> checking yes. out Jim's work there. Uh, but thanks, Jim, for joining us today. And thank you all for watching. And until the next time, stay free. Yes, indeed. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always. Thank you for listening to the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast.